First reading is taken from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel reading is from Luke 18. In your church Bibles, it's page 105.2. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the Gospel of the Lord. So just before I start, let's pray. Father, we come to you and ask that you would open our hearts to hear your word. Father, that we would be able to just rest in you, that Holy Spirit would lift us and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I'm going to start with the Luke passage, which was page 105.2. When I was pregnant with my first baby, my Alex, who's now just got married in Brazil, um, so it was quite a while ago, when I was pregnant, I was invited to go along to the church toddler group. I think they were rather hoping that I might help. And um, so there I was, very pregnant, waddled in, sort of eased myself into a chair and thought, oh. And um, these toddlers... They were so badly behaved, I have to tell you. I don't, I don't do toddlers en masse. You know, I find them a bit... I'll give me a teenager any day. And, um, you know, they were fighting. They were snatching things off each other. They wouldn't play together. They were bashing each other. They were constantly at their mother's. Mum, mum. And I sat there 
and thought to myself, my child's not going to be like this. <laughs> my child is just going to be an angel. My child is going to be well-mannered, happy to share all their things with everybody. It's not going to be demanding. And then my Alex was born. And as you can see, there he is trying to take Zoe's nose off. He, he was a total nightmare, actually. He's a lovely boy, love him to bits, but oh boy. He came into the world screaming and uh, carried on screaming for about three, three and a half years. Uh, he was really, really active. Um, Mark and I at one stage were sleeping in shifts because he didn't sleep. He would pass out for about 20 minutes and then he'd be up again and off. He, was, he got out of his cot at tight 10 months. He just climbed out of it. He was... Yeah... It was really, really hard work. So, so much hard work that when my daughter was born and she fed and she slept, I thought there's something terribly wrong with this child. I actually took her to my GP and said, I think she's deaf or I think there's something wrong with her because she feeds and she sleeps. And he thought it was hilarious. <laughs> he just laughed and laughed and laughed because he, you know, he, he, well, he hadn't lived through the time we had had with Alex. And I thought to myself, I should know better because because I'm a midwife. I was a health visitor. I was, in my attitude to other toddlers, a Pharisee. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people's People, evil robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. It's so easy, isn't it? This kind of attitude can creep up on us when we're just not looking. We can get caught up in the fact that we know about Jesus. We can read our Bibles. It's all head knowledge. We can get caught up in all the stuff we do. The times we come to church in the week, the stuff we do at work. We are, after all, we're not bad people. We can look at murderers and rapists and think, well, we're not like them. We give to charity. We obey most of the laws. The odd speeding, you know, but, but most of the laws. It's so easy, isn't it, to think that we are better than others. The tax collector knew his need, and because of that, he was allowing the Holy Spirit to transform his heart and his mind. And this is the place of encounter with God. Jesus' heart is with those who know their need of him and are willing to humble themselves and ask for his help like the tax collector did. The story is about responding to Christ, not about law-keeping. There's a response here to the utter holiness of God. And pride takes us away from that. Humility will bring us closer. Pride stops us loving and makes us reluctant to change. Humility allows the Holy Spirit to mould us and to change us. Perhaps what strikes you is the way Jesus is caring for the outsider here, 
Tax collectors were hated in first century Palestine. They were regarded in less favour than your average estate agent, politician or banker, with apologies to any here, of course, who aren't like that. Jesus welcomes all. It's us that makes a distinction, and it's us that looks down on people, not Jesus. Perhaps this passage raises questions for us as we reflect on it, and so it should Perhaps each one of us could take this passage away and wonder what it is God has to say to us through it. This passage in Jeremiah, can we have the next slide? Passage in Jeremiah, which is on page 794. This is real gold dust. This is one of those passages you read and you think, "Mm, gosh, that looks complex, maybe I'll go on to the next bit. And then you read it again, and by the time you've read it a few times, it just grabs you. Well, it certainly did me. I think it's absolutely amazing. Often, we can read Old Testament prophecy and glaze over. We can be overwhelmed by it. Sometimes it's very complex and wonder what relevance it has for us here in Southcote. The trick with them is to understand that often there was a relevance for when, it, when the prophecy was given. So it's a relevance there for the Israelite people. And then there is some relevance for us today living with the knowledge of Christ's salvation. And then often there is also a meaning for when Christ comes again and there's the new heaven and the new earth. And if you think of it like that, sometimes it's a bit easier to get into it. So if we remember who Jeremiah was, he was a prophet calling God's people back to the worship of God. He'd seen how they had sold out to their surrounding culture and forgotten that they were loved by God. And also they had forgotten to love God. But they didn't want to listen. And how often we don't when someone is pointing out where we've gone wrong. God here is calling them back with a really profound love song. So if we look at the first category, where it's prophecy for Israel, for the people there in exile. Jeremiah is talking about a time when God will bring them back out of captivity. It's a message for hope, of hope. And there's a message of love and reconciliation between God and his people. Look how he addresses his people in verse 32. I was a husband to them. This is a relationship of trust and intimacy, of lifelong commitment, something that is precious and it's beautiful. It's a relationship that is two-way, where there is time to get to know one another and where you want the best for each other. Just think about that for a moment. That is how God wants to relate to you and me. This talks about the encounter with God that the tax collector had. I'm not sure how it works in your house, and although it's hard to believe... Sometimes I get really crabby and bad-tempered and tired and really quite horrible. And Mark, my husband, still loves me. And that is how much God loves us and so much more, even the bits that we don't bring to church or we don't show at church. 
And this reconciliation is not only between God and people, but also between warring nations. Judah and Israel were warring countries where there was no love lost, but God is talking of bringing them back together. In verse 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It has to be said those messages of love and reconciliation are needed very much today and could inform our prayers as we ask God for reconciliation between us and families or between warring nations. And then, as I've said, there's there's something in it for us living today. I think this passage has a huge amount to say to us about being willing to be transformed. Look at the second half of verse 33. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I had the enormous privilege of um, helping at RE Inspired this, this week on Monday. Now, I, before Ori Inspired starts, I think, oh, I'm not sure I can do this. I don't want to do this. And then the kids arrive, and, and they're great. And I always think afterwards, that was absolutely fantastic. I'm so glad I had the opportunity to do it. And Monday, it was on faith in art. And it was just absolutely amazing. We had, um, if we can get the picture up, please. Yes, we had this picture, which is an aerial view of the Lord's Supper. And um, I was inviting the kids to engage and say, well, what's, what's it saying to you? What can you see in this picture? And one bright little button said, well, it looks like a lot of cabbages on the table. And I have to say, I can see where she was going with that. Um, but there was one little boy who I've, I don't know, I don't even know his name. He was just absolutely amazing. And he said, I think that might be a door. It was actually the other way up. Um, he said, I think that might be a door. Which, considering this is the Last Supper, seemed to me quite a profound thing to say, that this is maybe a door into God's love. And then somebody else said, well, I think it looks like a coffin. Which, again, as this is the Last Supper actually I thought was quite an insightful thing to say. And then this one little boy absolutely took my breath away. He said, well, he said, that table is red and it's cracked. Do you think that's Jesus' heart breaking? At which point I thought, how do I answer that? <laughs> but that's, it seemed to me that God had written something on that child's heart, that that child had an insight into the love and grace and amazingness of God that had just been revealed to him. It was absolutely incredible. And this is the deep transformation that Jeremiah is talking about in that verse. And that's what we saw with the tax collector in Luke. He knew his need. He knew the only way to approach God was in his need. I don't expect anyone had actually taught him that. I suspect the Holy Spirit had simply revealed it to him. That place of transformation for us 
may be to bring a broken relationship or the sin that no one else knows about into God's light. What Jeremiah is talking about here is so different from the old covenant that he made with, with the, the desert father, or not with the, uh, with the fathers of the faith, Abraham and Moses. So with, with Moses and with Abraham, God revealed himself to them, but then they disseminated the information to the rest of the people. Here, Jeremiah is talking about each and every one of us being able to approach Christ through the grace of the Holy Spirit and ask him to write his laws on our hearts. So God is wanting relationship with all of us. Every single one of us can have relationship with Christ. But how do we get there? I'm sure only by encounter with God, being filled by the Holy Spirit. And the only way to do that is by spending time with God and asking God to transform us. And he will. I can almost guarantee you it won't be as you expect it to be. And it won't always be easy and it won't always be comfortable when I was training to be a midwife, there's this thing that if you're Christian and a midwife, you must be being called to go on the mission field. You know, that's just a no-brainer, isn't it? And I, I did kind of explore it at the time, but it wasn't the right thing. I did go later, but uh, certainly not at the time. So it won't be as you expect. But I can tell you that it will be the most amazing journey. This is a God who wants the best for each and every one of us. And it's a God who also wants a two-way relationship. He doesn't just want to dictate. He wants us to talk to him, to allow him into our lives. And I think this passage should leave us with some questions. I'm not sure. In fact, I'm sure I don't have all the answers But I think it's each one of us, worth each one of us, prayerfully thinking about them. How do we get ourselves into a place where, like the tax collector, we too are aware of our need of God? How do we help others to encounter God, not just to learn about him in their heads, but to be transformed by him? And where are the places of encounter for us. What does transformation mean to us? What aspect of our lives can we give to Christ and ask him to transform? What is it we need to change? Our thoughts? A particular situation? The way we regard our homes, money, jobs? Maybe pride getting in the way of our relationship with God or with others. And how do we engage with people where the revelation is already happening? Think of that little boy. Think of the tax collector. They they already had revelation of the Holy Spirit. How, How do we in Southcote engage with that and bring it on and nurture those people? It's quite a long list of questions, so I'll just run through them again. What I suggest is that you pick one of the questions, just one, and let it 
just go round your mind. Perhaps as you come up to the communion table today, perhaps as we go into song, perhaps take it home and think about it. Use it in your prayer life this week. Use these passages and say, Lord, what is it you want to show me? So I'll just run through those questions again, and I invite you just to hold on to one of them. How do we get ourselves into a place where, like the tax collector, we are aware of our need of God? How do we help others to encounter God, not just to learn about him, but to be transformed by him? Where are the places of encounter for us? What does transformation mean to us? What aspect of our lives can we give to Christ and ask him to transform? What is it we need to change? And how do we engage with the revelation already there in people? We need to be open to God. We need to be aware that our own pride can get in the way, particularly if we think we've got the answers. And we need to remember that imagery of a husband. It's safe to be open and honest. It's safe to trust God with our deepest hopes, with our biggest dreams, with our fears and with our feelings. I'll just close with a prayer. Father, thank you that you are with us whenever we approach you in prayer. I ask that this week you will lead each one of us into deep encounter with you. Make us more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen.